You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Holy God, may your word read in scripture and enacted in sacrament find a cradle, a home within our hearts and lives. Amen. Our scripture passage for today's sermon is from a smaller unit of scripture in Luke that spills out from a lawyer's question. The man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In response, Jesus elicits from him the two great love commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Luke immediately goes on from that question to illustrate love your neighbor as yourself with the parable of the Good Samaritan. And what follows right after that parable sheds light on the first love commandment, asserting that to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind entails sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his word. Let us now turn to a story about two sisters, reading from Luke 10, beginning at verse 38, found on page 840 of your pew Bible, if you would like to follow along. Hear now these words from Luke. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The story of Mary and Martha evokes strong reactions. Some hail this passage as one of the most liberating texts for women in the Gospels, and that it reflects an opening for women within the circle of Jesus' disciples and challenges traditional expectations about women's roles. Others, however, find the story oppressive and that it pits sister against sister establishes a good woman, bad woman dualism, and presents a seemingly ungrateful Jesus, devaluing the hospitality that a hard-working woman extends. Indeed, whenever women gather to discuss it, at least one of them groans, Ugh, 
I hate this story. Perhaps reactions to this story are so strong because its setting is so familiar. It's not often we see water turned into wine or witness a miraculous healing. Few of us could turn a churchwide Christmas dinner into a feast with five loaves and two fish, but a tense moment at a household gathering? Oh, we're so familiar with it that it's like we're right in the room. Luke takes us into the home of Martha and Mary, and immediately we recognize, oh, we've been here before. Luke says that Martha opened her home to Jesus. This is, by Luke's telling, an autonomous female household. Luke mentions no brother. Lazarus is named only in the Gospel of John, but not here in Luke. Luke mentions no husband, no father. It is Martha who plays the role of the host. She oversees the material needs of her guests. As a Palestinian Jew, Martha is anxious to ensure that her honored guest, Jesus, and his disciples feel welcomed in her home. We can see it now. Martha getting it done. Mary taking a seat and listening to Jesus without a care in the world. I can feel the tension. Maybe I can feel the tension because I am the one in the kitchen getting it done. At this stage in my life and ministry, I tend to read this story from more of a Martha place than a Mary place. But no one is purely Martha or Mary. This is not a personality test. The world is not divided into two types, hard workers and people who just sit there, anxious warriors and masters of contemplation. We're both. And we need to befriend both the Mary and the Martha within us. Mary sits and listens, skirting tradition and taking the place of a student at the feet of a rabbi. And Jesus says she's chosen the better part. We don't tend to place much value in sitting and listening. We tell women to lean in. We vote for politicians who get things done. We fret endlessly about how busy we are. We tell little children to speak up. We don't have patience for someone who just sits there. We overlook the listeners. We feel guilty if we don't get enough accomplished in a day. And as much as we'd like to imagine that this sickness is peculiar to our time, surely the pressure to work was even greater when one's very survival required hauling water and pounding grain, when every morsel eaten was made from scratch at home and all the laundry was done by hand. But in spite of all that needs to get done, Mary just sits there. And Jesus says this is good and won't be taken from her. My friend Sarah shared with our preaching group that the last time she read this passage in a Bible study at her church, one stalwart saint, a woman named Pat, cried out, Who does Jesus think does the dishes anyway? Pat as far as anyone can tell, really is a saint. Pat prays for people who annoy her. She survived the death of her only child with wholeness and kindness, marriage and faith intact. You don't get more faithful than someone like Pat. She's also the kind of woman who makes the church run. She coordinates the details for memorial services. 
She decorates tables for potlucks. She has obligations at church more days than not. And Pat hates this story. Who does Jesus think does the dishes anyway? Martha does them. Pat does them. And lots of other busy, worried, distracted saints. The world has been built on their work. Work that is usually invisible and thankless. Friday Night Lights was a TV show that ran in the mid-2000s. It tells the story of a new football coach in a small Texas town that takes football very seriously. The marriage between the head coach, Eric Taylor, and his wife, Tammy, is a solid one. In one early episode in the show, Eric forgets to tell Tammy that they're hosting an entire football team at their house that week for a traditional rivalry week supper. He gives her two days' notice for a dinner for about 50 people. It turns into a party for 100 people. And things finally come to a head with a heated fight between Tammy and Coach Taylor underneath their dining room table. Tammy is exhausted and reasonably resentful that her husband hasn't noticed or cared how much work it would take to pull this whole thing off. Jesus here seems to be almost as oblivious as Coach Taylor. He doesn't seem to appreciate how hard Martha is working to welcome and feed him. And not only that, but he's passing judgment on her at the same time. Here's what I think it feels like to be Martha in this moment. It feels pressed and rushed. It feels tight and like there's no way out. It feels like the world is closing in and no matter what she does, nothing will be enough. That's the real kicker. To work that hard and believe with a sinking feeling that no matter how hard you work, it still won't be good enough. No matter how many hours you put in, how hard you try, there will still be another mile to go and no one will notice. No matter how many dishes you wash or loads of laundry you do, no one will help and the clothes will keep getting dirty and there will still be more. And then, while you're working this hard to take care of business, some people have the gall to just sit there and do nothing. That's not fair. And one day all the anxiety and worry and hard work and desire to please all boils over and you find yourself screaming at Jesus to please make your sister help you just this once. It never goes well when we tell Jesus that it's just not fair. Jesus never says, you're right, let me see what I can do about it. He always asks us to take a step back and look at the situation again. It's no different with Martha here. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. Jesus didn't call Martha out for her lack of hospitality. It was not her cooking, cleaning, or serving that bothered him. It's that his friend Martha is worried and distracted by many things. The root of the word worry means strangle or to seize by the throat and tear. The root of the meaning of the word distraction means a separation 
or a dragging apart of something that should be whole. These are violent words, words that wound and fracture, states of mind that can divide and break us. You are worried and distracted by many things. Jesus found Martha in such a state of fragmentation, a condition in which she could not enjoy his company, savor his presence, find inspiration in her work, receive anything he wished to offer her, or show genuine love. Instead, all Martha could do was question his love. Lord, do you not care? Fixate on herself. My sister has left me to do all the work by myself. And triangulate. Tell her then to help me. Does any of this sound familiar? What has you worried, distracted, fragmented, and frazzled? It could be because of a myriad of things. It's not just about household chores, but the relationships that mean the most to you. It's not just the things in our own small circles. Yes, it is that, but it might also be the state of our country, the state of humankind. There is a lot that might have us distracted and worried. Martha, Martha, he says. When the words are flat on the page, they sound like scolding. But Jesus loves Martha. He sees her for who she truly is, a beautiful child of God. And if this is how Jesus sees her, then we can only imagine that his words came from a place of genuine care. Perhaps Jesus was laughing when he said her name. Or maybe his voice was incredibly gentle. Perhaps his words felt like the warm embrace she so sorely needed. Jesus sees Martha's resentment and rage. He sees that she thinks she's stressed because she has too much to do and no one to help. And he sees deeper than that, too. He sees how worried she is. Maybe he sees how she longs for approval, or how she deeply wants to be noticed, or how she's trying to earn her place in the world by being good enough. So he calls her name, the way he will call Mary Magdalene's name in the garden early one morning, and he invites her to a new life. He's not calling her away from acts of service or tangible acts of love. There's nothing wrong with caring for others. He just invites her to go deeper, to set down everything that's not necessary. He's not telling her that she shouldn't cook or clean. He's not telling her she's not good enough. He's telling her that it's all already fine. With dinner late, the house a wreck, it's all fine. She is fine. She is more than fine. She is loved just as she is. Jesus points to Mary, not because she's sitting still, but because she is doing what she's doing with attention, focus, and love. That's what Jesus wants Martha to see, what it looks like to do something different, what it looks like to pay attention with love. Lord. Do you not care? Martha asks. Yes, Jesus says to Martha. Yes, I care. I see what fills your mind and drowns your hope. 
I see what occupies your thoughts and leaves little room for anything else. I see the worry you shoulder not just for today, but for tomorrow and the next day and the next. Yes, Martha, I see. I care. Jesus always sees. The trouble is when we don't see. When we pass by on the other side, we miss those things Jesus would give his attention to. When we give in to the phrase, it is what it is. When we accept the world around us the best we, as the best we can do, then we're pointing our attention, our energy, our service in the wrong direction. The story of Mary and Martha is not a story about who is better. The better thing here in this scene is the invitation to believe that you are who God sees you to be. The better thing here is to pay attention with love. This is the root of our greatest problems, an inherent, systemic, ingrained, dysfunctional belief that not all are worthy of God's attention and love. Jesus' words to Martha are not a rebuke, but an invitation. An invitation to see more in herself than she thought was possible, and in turn, to see the same possibilities in others. Perhaps we can be more prepared to hear God inviting us to see more in ourselves than we have before. Perhaps we can begin to see others as God's beloved children. Perhaps we too might pay attention with love. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.